Welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we are going to have an exceptionally talented British author on with us to discuss her latest two books and also uh, it's Christmas week so we're in a crime-filled Christmas week theme. But before we get too far into our podcasts it is time for our daily advert and uh, it's with Marianne Curley's The Time Guardian book series and I have beginning reading book one and I have to say it is lived up to expectations so far and I cannot wait to share it with you very soon. The battle is over, the war is won, the prophecy complete but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan. Struggling to cope with tragic loss at odds with friends and the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself, the goddess Lathena's death, Giselle swears revenge and vilify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love. And that leaves her with an unbearable choice should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave as the guard and the order battle through the past and into an impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for world survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And it's a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Rowie is uh, on sale and it's uh, all proceeds are going to the refugee crisis in Ukraine. And this book series is a Roman crime series. Her agent has also donated her commission. So it is a great novel that I recommend all of you to check out and uh, lend your support where you can. And before we uh, get too excited about uh, Rosemary's work, we're going to move on to another British crime writer and this one is a very big fan favourite of mine. So please everyone welcome Katie Ellis. And welcome Kate Ellis to the show. It is truly such an honour because I actually found your books, uh, funnily enough, when I was reading Nicole Ford, who does the archaeologist things. So I was super excited to have you on because I felt like you were a similar kind of vein to what she does. So I was like, yay! (laughs) (laughs) So welcome. Um, I see you've got a hardback, a uh, paperback out, and you've got a hardback coming out. Yes, and, I've got uh, I, I just say, I wanted to say this before we get started. I love your background because I was, um, I was one of those drama students for a long time. I actually got uh, yes. <laughs> for drama, but I never actually got to go through with it. So to see that you have studied drama and you worked in teaching, <coughs> I was actually a teacher's assistant. Um, yeah, it was it was really awesome, and I was really excited. I was like somebody after my own heart who understands <laughs> the struggle of being somebody who's passionate about drama, but then also somebody that's been in the teaching game too and understands a slight slight frustration with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, f- I first started writing um, as a winner. I I wrote a play, and I won a competition, Northwest Playwrights Competition. And that's yeah. how I started. Um, but nothing is ever wasted because I now do uh, quite a lot of murder mysteries in libraries. I, 
I've writ written uh, some murder mysteries and the li libraries love performing them and, <laughs> and they're great yeah. fun. Yeah. It's funny you say that because in Shetland they are mad about crime because we yes, had our case up there for the longest time and we also had Marzi Taylor up there. Oh yes, yes I know Marshall yeah. yeah, everyone does. She's, yes. she's not a bit easy person to forget. I love her to, to bits. Yes. I, I probably wouldn't have continued writing if it hadn't been for her in high school because she encouraged me when we crossed paths and uh, I have to say it was an honor to have her on the show. She was our, I think, third episode we had here oh, on the yes, Book yeah. Life podcast. So that one's out if you want to listen to it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I just, she was the same. She's like, just write whatever you feel and, you know, it'll come so naturally to you. And she's, I always find she's dead encouraging. Yes. Yeah, she is. She's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I grew up in Shetland where you either read historical romance slash drama or mm. you read crime. Yes. Uh, the two kind of like popular ones because I grew up with Catherine and then my friends were all reading crime novels and it was kind of like complete opposites attract in a way. Mm. We used to always have a giggle and a laugh because you know, they'd be like, oh here comes Marzi and we're just writing. Ooh, what's she writing? There's always that kind of buzz that we had around her because we we caught her writing a couple of times. I don't know if it was like <laughs> yes. just a little story she had in her head or something, but she would always make these little notes on a, a pad of paper. So, yeah, it was it was great. I always look forward to seeing her. And yeah. I am delighted to have you on. I just I love having British crime writers on. I've had um, M W Craven on. Oh yes, the show. yes. And he was he was a fun. He was a lot of fun. Yeah. I probably talked a little bit too much of the actual, you know, oh my god, you're a ex-parole officer, I have to know about this. So he might have gotten a little bit too much quizzed on that, but he <laughs> certainly had fun. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to do this one with you. So tell us a little bit about the book you've just released and what it's about. Oh, The Stone Chamber. Wow. <laughs> um... I love this, guys. She... You can't see this, but she's got a coffee there. So I'm super <laughs> yeah. excited. Can't tell, but I'm super excited. Yes, it, it begins when a couple, a retired couple, are shot dead in their home in the uh, Devon countryside. Now, they're originally from London, and uh, the man used to be a police officer. So it's uh, assumed that the uh, death is um, sub-execution-style murder. So it's assumed that... Uh, you know that is the motive but in my books you know nothing is ever straightforward uh his his name is found on a list of people who've been sent tickets anonymously for a tour of a former asylum on dartmoor and then uh, wesley my detective discovers that other names on the list have also died in mysterious circumstances and then he's drawn into the chilling history of this asylum and uh, you know does it have the key to the case uh, and then uh, his friend archaeologist Neil Watson who um, always I always introduce my historic the historical aspect of my books uh, via Neil's his uh, archaeological investigations he finds a skeleton of a woman um, buried in a sealed chamber uh, dating back to the 15th century, it is dig nearby, and uh, 
is there a connection between the Neil's discovery and the tragic events of the asylum, Dark Hole Grange? Ooh. <laughs> I love it because like you can't, they can't see our faces, but I think I had my jaw slightly ajar for most of that, and I was trying desperately <laughs> hard to pick up my jaw from the floor. I was like, can't, can't let on too much. Um. No, too late. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it because your writing is, it's so original and it's very unique. I just, I find it very dry almost. And I look forward to when I sort of see authors like that because the one thing we can claim as British people is we write originality. It's yes. like it's in bread yeah. in us. Like we don't rehash stories. We look for our own new content. You know what I mean? It comes from deep within us. So oh, I definitely yeah. That's why I love having British writers on. You know, it's like a passion for me. If I find a really good one, I'm like, I've got to have this person on and. Oh, I hope they accept my offer. <laughs> I mean, that sounds incredible. So tell me, what what inspired this series for you? And what was your aha moment of, I've got to write this series? Well, I think you should always write the sort of books you want to read. And I loved, I've always loved crime. Uh, I always yeah. say, when I'm doing a talk, my mother led me into a life of crime because <laughs> she was a huge crime fan and she used to um, put crime novels into my hot little hands, you know. And I always yeah. started off on Enid Blyton's mystery stories as well. You know, I've always oh. loved a good mystery. So, and I, I'm also very interested in history. It was my favourite subject at school. So, you know, I've uh, written the sort of books I would like to read. Uh, mystery, really twisty mystery, with um, you know nothing. My, I hope my solutions are never obvious. There's always a big twist. Um, Is that so, something that you worry about? The the you know people catch on to the murder right away. Oh yes, yes. I, in fact, I you know I've changed my my plot. If it's getting too obvious, no. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny you say that because one of the things I hate, and I, I do this with my husband, is we watch NCIS, and 90% of the time he'll go, he did it. We're only two minutes in, the freaking credits are rolled, yeah, how do you know he's done it? And I'm, I just want to smack him, <laughs> you know, because yeah. <laughs> he is terrible. I think because he grew up in Glasgow and he saw crime and he saw murder, I think he automatically just has that logical brain of, I know who's done it. Yeah. And it's annoying because he gets it right 99% of the time. And it's like, Ugh. so he doesn't read uh, crime novels because yeah. of that reason. Um, and he was a huge Ian Banks fan. So I think that was part, part of the reason he was so good at it was because he grew up on Ian Banks. His mum loved um, Agatha Christie and uh, he used to watch Pyro with his, his grandmother. So, yeah, he drives me slightly nuts because I'll be like, going, oh, my gosh, you got to read this. And he'll be like, let me read the blurb. And from the blurb, he used to be able to tell me who the murderer was. Oh. And I would get so frustrated with him. And I'd just fire the book at him and go, stop that. I hate it. Um, but 
the only people he's ever been wrong about has been Fiona Cummings, funnily enough, and Marsley Taylor. So it'll be interesting to see if he can do it with um, W. Prince books mm. and yours. Yes. I think that's still a <laughs> test for him. So we shall see. Um, I will let you know how that goes. But yes. Yeah, I, uh, I like I like trying them as well because my mother-in-law she's such a, a fanatic for crime, mm. and so I read them first to make sure that they're not too horror because she can't. If it's too gross, she can't handle it. Yes, I, I'm so, the same. Um, <laughs> I don't like I know. anything I, I totally violent or torture. And I, I just can't. No. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, Fiona Cummins has got me a couple of times because I read the uh, bone collector in the hospital. And of course, the, the guy is actually a janitor in the hospital. So you can imagine that was like, I was in for four weeks that trip. Every janitor got death stare. I'm like, <laughs> you get me? Give them the mug. I always call it my Glasgow mugging face of, you know, <laughs> strictness. Mm. <laughs> I'll tell you what, what I, the a t TV series I used to love because nothing was ever obvious, uh, set in Glasgow, Taggart. I used oh, to yes. Do you remember yes, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were brilliant. And sometimes, you know, they'd, you'd start off and you think, oh, just it's just a gangland killing or something. But then it became something far more interesting and all the twists and connections and oh yeah I used to love Taggart. <laughs> it, it's funny you say that because I've just gotten into uh, Grantchester. Oh yeah. Which is the vicar and uh, D.I. Keating. Yeah. And I didn't think I'd like it because everybody raved about it and I'm like oh this is going to be the Ta Shetland TV series all over again I'm going to watch it and just fetal position and just like no this is no can't do it can't do it um, <laughs> because I love I'm pleased but the TV series representation of Shetland is just sometimes too on the nose I know I thank you I thank you you'd love it yeah yeah um, but it, for me it's sometimes too on the nose or sometimes it's just nothing like Shetland in a way so I think I the ones based ready. on her books were excellent yeah uh, no, I love the her ones based on her books definitely yeah. excellent. I yeah. just I, I think I cringe because it's a Glaswegian trying to play Shetlander and I'm like oh he's getting this so wrong <laughs> and then you, you see the actual person from Shetland playing the supporter role and you're like that's how it's done <laughs> So yeah, I, 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 I get wary about doing uh, watching TV series, but yeah, I have fallen in love with the Grandchester one. Yes, slightly, they're very um, good. Yeah, I slightly it, addicted yeah. to it at the moment. I'm, I'm trying to catch up because you guys are all in season seven. Yeah, and I'm only on season four. Mm, yeah, so I yeah, be, they are very good, very enjoyable, very original. It is. It's really good, and I kind of thought it would be a little bit like Agatha Christie kind of style. Mm. or Midsummer's Murders or something like that and then I was surprised it, it really wasn't like that and I, I just kind of got into the rhythm of it a little bit more mm. um, I'm interested mm. to see how how it develops I must admit yes yeah <laughs> I think yours would make an, a, a great TV series I must admit oh, I hope one day possibly one day yeah well you never know because you know, Grandchester was based off a book series, and there's yes, a lot of yeah. them that are now. 
so fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah. So your your upcoming novel. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and uh, what we can look oh. forward to with that one? The one that's out in August, where Prince. Yes. Well, well, technically, it will be out already because we're we're having our Christmas week oh, here yes, on the yes. Life podcast, <laughs> and uh, we're having a little bit of fun. So, yeah, tell us about that because I think well, this will be excellent Christmas stuffing, Philip. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's a place in Devon, a sort of um, coast coastal place in Devon, and it's the focus of lots of local legends um, about. A serpent uh, being beneath the ground now. <laughs> uh, there's a large house on a headland and uh, it's shrouded in an ancient tale of evil. And, but at the, uh, at that, the present time it's um, lived in by a sort of artist colony and uh, there's also some filming going on on there which was uh, quite interesting and quite amusing. Um, anyway, a woman who um, was house-sitting at, at, at the stables for this big house was found strangled on a coastal path and of course Wesley was called in to investigate. Uh, this woman, as I mentioned, has been house-sitting at Serpent's Point um, and Wesley's very dis uh, surprised when he finds out that she's been conducting, conducting an investigation of her own. She sort of has an incident room in the in the house um, about unsolved missing persons cases, and she's a bit of a mystery woman, and uh, you know, could these inquiries have led to a murder? Um, the case takes Wesley to Yorkshire and the Cotswolds, and uh, in the meantime, uh, Neil, his the archaeologist, is making a very dramatic uh, discovery of his own. Uh, in the fields near Serpent's Point, something uh, a very rare archaeological find in Devon. Um, it's an actual Roman find. So this one goes back to actual Roman times and a Roman curse. <laughs> uh, anyway, Neil also discovers a skeleton which doesn't date to Roman times, and uh, then the pressure is on. Uh, for Wesley to find a, a killer and uh, oh, I like that. save that innocent people <laughs> and Serpent's Point obviously holds more secrets than anyone could have ever imagined. <laughs> so. I like that. That is definitely a book you want to be opening on Christmas Day because it's like oh, oh a puzzle to solve and yeah no that's that's exciting. I love that and I know that my my mother-in-law is going to kill me because I'm going to get her books for Christmas. <laughs> She's going to open it on Christmas Day and be like, Crystal, <laughs> <laughs> I have a terrible habit. I give books three times a year to at least her or somebody in the family gets books. And they give me that look as if to say, Crystal, none of us want the library collection that you have. And I'm like mm -hmm. secretly thinking to myself, you say that now but one day you will have your own. <laughs> so I have been slowly turning her dining room into a library. Um, she's not quite picked up on it again, so I'll see how long I can uh, keep sliding that. Uh, sliding that yeah. Down. But yeah, I, I can even read you a little bit of the 
the beginning of Serpent's Point, if you like. I haven't that got the book yet, but I, I have printed out the first uh, the introduction. Exclusive here. Okay. Exclusive, yes, you're the first people to hear the, hear this. Well <laughs> You will like Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. I get to hear it before. Yeah, it, at Chris by Christmas, um other people in libraries and <laughs> will have heard it. <laughs> right, chapter one. The bridegroom had strangler's hands. Strong hands, restless hands, hands that could squeeze the life out of some unsuspecting victim. Susan didn't like the bridegroom. Not being invited to her best friend's wedding hurt like a knife twisted in the stomach. Susan had known Alfred since primary school. They played together, laughed together, cried together, but not anymore. Not since Alfred Avril met him. Not since he'd set about separating her from her friends and family. Susan had decided to stand outside the registry office. If Avril saw her, at least she'd know she was there for her. But when the moment came and they emerged from the building, her courage failed her and she darted into the shop doorway. It was just the two of them, bride and groom. Avril wearing the floral dress and her new husband in an expensive suit. No bouquet, no buttonhole. A couple of strangers Susan, Susan didn't recognize followed behind sheepishly, muttered audible congratulations, then walked off together. Witnesses dragged him off the street, perhaps. There were no family members at the wedding and no friends either. Just Avril and Ian alone. Avril gazed adoringly at her new husband as he bent to give her a half-hearted kiss. As Susan watched them walk off together, she was afraid for her friend. And there was nothing she could do about it. Some people were their own worst enemies. And next bit is five years later. The story of Serpent's Point featured in all the books of local legend was there in the tourist box in South Devon. But Susan knew it was just a fanciful tale that had grown up over the years, a painted devil to scare foolish children. Evil came from people, not places. It was said that many centuries ago, a huge serpent, guided by his master Satan, stole the promontory from the sea, and that the creature still lived there beneath the ground, surfacing every now and then to make mischief. In centuries gone by, superstitious farmers claimed the land was cursed, but that had never stopped them breaking the livestock there. Economics beat the devil any day. But the coast path broke close to her new temporary home. She liked to begin each day with a walk ahead. That morning she followed the now familiar route, pausing every now and then as she always did to take in the wide vista of the sea spread out before her, its ripples sparkling like jewels as they caught the sun. Sometimes a large cargo vessel crawled lazily over the horizon, but today there were only yachts with gleaming sails, and whenever she saw one, didn't take one from whether he was aboard. As the day was young and the schools hadn't yet started their summer break, she found herself alone on the path, with all the beauty to herself. She breathed in the sea air and closed her eyes for a few seconds, listening to the cries of the gulls wheeling overhead and the buzz of the bees in the hedgerows. 
with the rolling green landscape to one side and the calm sea to the other, this was the nearest thing to heaven she'd ever experienced. But she knew she mustn't forget why she was there. She was so close to finding the evidence she needed and only when she'd accomplished her mission would she resume her normal life. Justice, justice would roll down from the mountains eventually, but not quite yet. The sound of approaching footsteps made her turn, bracing herself for the water's ritual of bidding each other good morning as she listened to the stranger's call. But a few minutes later, she was lying behind beside the path, her dead eyes staring up at the summer sky. Oh, I love that. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've got to do it before anyone else, so I feel very honoured. <laughs> so, what drew you to Devon to write this one? What was your inspiration that made you set it there? Well, it's a place I've been going, well, ever since my eldest son was six months old, and we rediscovered that area around South Devon, Dartmouth, and fell in love with it, and we went back every year and got to really know it. And uh, when it came to me choosing where to set a book, I didn't, I'm from Liverpool and yeah. I live, uh, I was a student in Manchester and I live south of Manchester. I didn't want to set my book in a big city because I think publishers have an expectation. If you set your book in a big city, it's gonna be about gangs, drugs, etc., etc. And yeah, that's kind of what didn't yeah. really, interests me at all uh, I wanted sort of more you know Country intriguing yeah. Yeah. Uh, plots so um, I thought and, and somebody also advised me always set your book somewhere you'd like to visit <laughs> so you can so you've always got an excuse to visit so South like Devon that. that's a good excuse yeah <laughs> And it, it's also got all human life was there, you know, um, farm, farming families have been there for generations, fishing, and there's also a big artistic community, lots of second homeowners, and the, um, you know, tension between the residents and the second homeowners, um, lots of holiday makers, you know, all human life was there, you know, rich and poor. Uh, well, we'll just have to say we've detected across some really nice holidays throughout the UK. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, it just seemed an ideal place. I don't use real names. I call it Dartmouth Tradmouth because I like to change things around. Of course, yeah. Uh, I mean, Tradmouth's got a police headquarters, um, you know, and Dartmouth's got a little police post, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So it avoids angry letters in green ink and. <laughs> And, uh, that sort oh of no, thing. but I mean, to be honest, growing up in Shetland, the only thing that they criticise people about is whether you can actually do it. Yeah. So they will actually see if you could drive from one part of the island to another in a set time. Yeah. Or if it's possible for people to do the things that they do. Um, which makes some very disturbing conversations in the library, I must admit, at times. Yes, yeah. But, um, also, Thomas Hardy know. did it with, uh, you know, go, go just yeah. with Castor Bridge, so if it's good enough for him, <laughs> it's good enough for well, me. I always, I always remember talking about this with Marzi, is that everything has to be 
to her, she has to actually drive or sail these parts to make sure it is legit. And I think that's where we get our kind of desire for originality, our desire to make sure it's the best quality work is because we have this sort of part of us that's like, no, we have to make sure it's right. And it, you know, it's, it's possible for this to happen. So I love when somebody takes that time and that energy to do that and to create that element and to check it. Um, and I think that's what makes sort of like yourself and Marzi and, and MW Crane stand out because you guys take that time to just double check your work, I like to say. You know, you put that time and that effort into it. And as you said, you, you went and visited this place on, you know, a regular basis. Oh, um, yes. I think I've got the spirit of the place. I, I, th I get lots of yeah. emails from people in, in Devon or Devon Exile said, oh, yes, you've got the spirit of the place. Yeah. And I think probably that's more important than ge geographical, no, you know, you whether so-and-so is a one-way street or that sort of thing. And, yeah. and I think if you if you called if, if you called it Dartmouth, uh, you know I I, I would well I, I you know I couldn't have my police headquarters there or you know I couldn't yeah, really no, no, use I it that, yeah. you know I'd have to but, but you have that kind of big city yeah. yeah you have that really great train of thought and the eye for detail and that's what makes us I always say the best writers for things like crime historical you know we call it period drama here um i always think that's weird that the americans call it historical drama or historical romance and then you know you look at our side of the pond and we actually call it period drama because yeah. it's set in periods of time mm. so i always thought that was a bit interesting yeah um, but yeah no it, it this is really i'm really excited to get these myself I, they might not end up as Christmas gifts this year. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> It'll be, you know, be swearing about the uh, collection of books growing ever larger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I might like to have got these one for her one for me. That will solve that problem. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm lobbying for, for extra bookshelves myself. <laughs> Getting rather packed. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I must admit, Ian, he's gotten so used to me um, that at Christmas time, he doesn't even ask me, really. He's like, oh, I'll buy you another bookcase. And then he's like, I'll figure out where to put it. You know, because it's just, I I have this need to just collect, I think. So if I find a, an author I fall in love with, I get their entire list. And then I, I slowly work my way through this entire list, even though at the moment my TBR is a bit like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it's fun because you know, that's my escape. I have a long-term health condition, so I spend a lot of time in doctor's waiting rooms, I spend a lot of time at the hospital, and there is nothing worse than sitting in a waiting room if you don't have a good book. Yes, I agree. <laughs> because, I don't know if this is the same for you, but 90% of the doctor's offices in the hospitals here have the worst cell reception, or, you know, mobile phone reception going. So you can't just sit on your phone because it doesn't work. So you you kind of almost come up with another form of entertainment. And I think that's why Glasgow is, I would say, ferocious readers. Because, you know, if you're on the bus or you're on the train or you're on, you know, the underground, 
it gives you something to do while oh, you're yeah. waiting. Yeah. And sometimes the buses are terribly late here, so it gives you an excuse to sit at the bus stop with a book or sit on the bus hoping you get to your destination yes. <laughs> reading your book. So I, I think that's why I love Scotland a little bit more because we're we're kind of customary readers because we're mm. normally bored out of our minds so we're sitting reading something so yeah, yeah and it makes for great conversations yes do you know conversations i've had in waiting rooms and and stuff like that because somebody's been bored and says oh my gosh what are you reading tell me about it you know because you can tell in their eyes they want the past 20 minutes doing something and uh, I usually say, did you forget a book? And they say, yeah. And then oh. you know, we, end up, we end up talking about it. So yeah. I seem to be like a little uh, walking, talkie marketing thing. I, I throw in a lot of books this way to a lot of people. Uh, you know, if I'm reading it, then I, I share it. Um, and it's funny because my consultant, the first thing he says to me is, what you reading? Because he's, he's <laughs> always like impressed to see what I'm up to. Um, and I usually get, if it's a fantasy book, he goes, oh, what are you reading this dribble for? Uh, or if I'm studying, he actually looked at my study uh, material this year and he went, what rubbish is this? And I was like, uh, I'm doing a uh, literacy course. Huh. That's, that's what I got when he looked at the, the reading material I was having to go through. So, um, funnily enough, it was the Ursula the dispossessed that we were covering at that time and uh, yeah he was he was taking the mickey out of me for five minutes <laughs> as he likes to do so um but no i love it so talking about books has there been a book that you've read recently that you would say really st stuck with you that you haven't really been able to shake oh uh, uh, one particular fantastic book was tombland B.J. Sampson. Oh, okay. That, yeah, one, that, was, that was what I was expecting. Yeah. What was I, it about the book that book. stuck with you? Um, the bit, it was a very long book and uh, it was set in Norwich. Um, okay. Um, you know, I don't know whether you've read any of his No, his actually I haven't. Oh, no, oh that, uh, Matthew Shardley, um, a, a lawyer. Uh, uh, a Tudor lawyer in the time of Henry VIII oh. uh, and this one is just after Henry VIII this is uh, Edward the sixth and all about the Reformation and the um, you know the, the uh, Brebo rebellion um, that happened in the 16th century oh. and it's just very vivid and it it just took you to Norwich at that time, and uh, yeah, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and funnily enough, though, that he mentions um, a hotel called the Maid's Head, or an inn called the Maid's Head, and yeah. uh, Matthew Shardbeck was staying there. And I, I actually went to a crime writers' conference in the Maid's Head, so <laughs> it's still there. Well, that's incredible. Very, very marvelous. So well researched. So you, if you had infinite time, an infinite bookshelf, who would you read? You get an author in a series, so you get to pick an author in a series. Why? Who would you pick and why? One of my favourite 
tools actually is um, Peter Lovesy. Oh, okay. He is absolutely brilliant. I know him actually, he's a lovely man. Uh, and he writes absolutely fantastic books. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, in fact, it, um, his one of his early series, Sergeant Crib, the Victorian series, was on the telly many, many years ago. And he okay. writes uh, set in Bath about a detective called uh, Peter Diamond, and they are absolutely fantastic. That is actually on one of my places I want to visit is Bath. Yeah, so I love that you you picked that. Yeah. So what about a series? Who would you pick for a series read? If you oh, that, that is a book series. Oh, you yeah, that is mine. Yeah. So if you could pick oh, a different there's probably a, quite a few actually. Um, I enjoy Anne, Anne Cleese's Vera. Um, yes, she's, oh, she is cracking. Yeah, oh, who else? There must be lots, actually. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you who I'm reading library, at the moment. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, Would it make you Chris, Christopher Fowler as Bryant and May. They are wonderful books. They're really quirky about these two elderly detectives, and they're all set in London. They use the London um, legends, and oh, they're, they're absolutely wonderful books. I yeah, love so. that because, like, I like the idea of exploring London legends because I think a lot of their legends are not explored. I think they focus mostly kind of on gangs and drugs. I think a lot of the books that come out nowadays, if it's set in a city, as you said earlier. Oh, oh yeah, the, these aren't like that at all. They, they are just so quirky and brilliant. And they use the history of London, the legends of London. And, oh, they, they, and, and the one book, it's called the Peculiar Crimes Unit, and that'll give you a clue. <laughs> oh, okay, I like the title, yeah. yeah. Oh, so, they've even got a, a, a station cat called Crippin. <laughs> they are absolutely wonderful books. Yeah, I can't recommend them too highly. <laughs> Christopher Fowler. I love that. Yeah. Is there an author, past and present, who has influenced, inspired, and made you excited about books? And obviously, well, it, has to, it has to be um, Agatha Christie, <laughs> uh, Ruth Rendell as well. Especially her Wexford books. Uh, Can I ask why? What it, uh, what it was specifically? Oh, just like Christie's twists and the. Yeah. The, the Turns, yeah. And but I always get like Wexford with the characters favorite, yeah. and the, you know, twists and. Yeah. Anything, anything with. <laughs> so when you visit a bookshop, what genre would you say that you're automatically drawn to above all else? Oh, crime. <laughs> perhaps history as I like well. that, it's instantaneous, that's a crime. <laughs> yeah, perhaps history. I think you should always write what you enjoy reading. Yeah, I, I totally agree actually, because there's so much advice I was given when I was starting out, because I was actually introduced to the idea of publishing and writing by Debbie Flory, who's a famous Scottish writer for children's novels. And you know, she said that she's like, write what you enjoy reading, yes, and you can't go wrong. Yeah, she says, don't yeah. worry about your dyslexia, you will find a place that accepts you mm. for who you are that will not hold your, your learning disability against you. She says, you might even find a British agent that will help you. 
she says just trust in the system and write what you love reading and you'll never go wrong and, and she loved me for my detail I was very detail orientated and I did a short story that was essentially I built the tension and the drama around the details of the story which I still do but I, I got drafted into romance and I haven't quite made it back out um, but yeah no, I, I, I couldn't like write a romantic novel to save my life uh, oh. I just, I, I just, I just put, put murders in it. <laughs> I hey, trust me, you can't go wrong because there's, there's such a thing as uh, romantic suspense now, which is cozy book murders. Uh, so yeah, don't don't worry about that. I no. I do. I've read Marie Force, who's uh, a crime. You would say she was a sort of romantic suspense author. She she does a a fantastic series called her Fatal series, and that's set in DC with you know. A presidential candidate and a detective who refuses to give up her detective post even though her husband makes it into the White House so um, you know I've read sort of all variations as I would say of, of different genres and uh, I can't write romantic suspense um, but I did just do my first ever crime novel which I got help with by a detective from the first 48 hours um, it has not actually been read by anybody. Um, I think a couple of agents have seen it, um, but no luck yet. But yeah, I'm super, super nervous to come out of romance and dip my toe into crime um, because I love crime podcasts and true crime. A lot of that I've I've watched over the years, and as I, I said earlier, me and my husband's watched a lot of NCIS, and I've kind of explored the world of you know crime television. So, um, yeah, I, I love it. And I love being able to talk to you guys as well because it's almost like an inspiration to keep plugging oh, away. I'll, I'll tell, you, tell you another uh, series um, I, I books I really love. D. Ellen Pascoe, The Late Reginald oh, Hill. Of course, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I love those. I love those. That, yeah. Those are a great one. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. Have you ever picked up a book and just wondered... Why did I pick this up? What was I thinking? Uh, not really. I, I tend to read the blurb. <laughs> but anything you don't with... do what all of us do, just like pick up a book and say, oh, I like this, and I just go buy yeah, it. Yeah, I tend to read it. the blurb. And, uh, I, 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 it does save a lot of trouble, actually. Yeah, I, I wouldn't like anything with torture or ultraviolence in it. No, I'm with you on that, yeah. Yeah. I, it can't be a yeah, bit hurtful, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I tend to like read that. at bedtime, you see, so I don't want anything like that. I know, head. right? I do the same. Like, I I read for a period in the bath, and then I come to bed, and I read, like, you know, another 20, 40 pages, and the worst thing you can do is read a really dark book and then fall asleep, because you're like, okay your mind plays it out um, particularly mine does because mine likes to get the answers so <laughs> I'm with you on that one I've made that mistake so many times <laughs> going into our writing topic for the next section of the podcast I gotta ask what what drew you to write crime was it sort of the love that your mom installed in you or was there like another aha this is where I need to be 
Well, I've always enjoyed, you know, as I say, the stories like what you enjoy reading. I've always loved crime and a mystery, anything with a good mystery. Of course. So, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an obvious choice, really. And also, yes. I lo liked history, so adding a bit of history to it. Ties well together, actually, I must admit. Yeah, yeah. I've done a, a, a trilogy, a purely historical trilogy. Um, uh, Kirk Leach and D.I. Albert Lincoln set just after the First World War and that was, that's been very well received. High Mortality of Doves, um, uh, The Boy Who Lived With the Dead and The House of the Hanged Woman and that was oh, uh, a historical yeah, yeah. trilogy set in the north of England around where I live. So. We'll just have to figure out a way to send you up to Shetland so you can uh, explore <laughs> one of your favourite places there, see what, <laughs> see what comes back it's such a magical place to write. Well, I, I, I think Marshley and Anne have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, have, uh, done and, and Marcy well would give you the grand old tour. That's for sure. Yeah. It is. It is. It's a lovely place to write. Honestly, yeah. it, it's just you're inspired all the time. You really are. So, what gave you the inspiration to write your current series? What was the, like. What made you write the first book? Was there a ha moment, or did the characters just kind of come to you very slowly? Um, I, I just just got the idea. I just really wanted to write a crime novel, and I just yeah. you know had this. It just came to you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> No, no, I, I completely understand. I've had books where it just comes to me and I'm like, okay. Or I get a title and I think, what would be a good story behind this title? Um, so no, I totally get that. And as a writer, I think it's very hard to explain sometimes where a lot of these ideas come from. And you well, I did, my, the first book I ever wrote was um, a historical um, set in oh. Tudor, Liverpool. And that it was about the time of Brother Cadwell was uh, really popular and the publishers loved it but they didn't um, they said oh we've got enough historical detect you know detectives of that Detective, uh, yeah. period uh, so I wanted to write a contemporary story but I couldn't leave, leave the history behind and, and there was this story I won't give away the plot of the merchant's house but this story was that was as relevant in the 17th century when I set it um, as it is today. So I did a, a mystery today, thus a background mystery in the 17th century um, through Wesley's oh, like uh, detective uh, archaeologist friends. Uh, and that's how the series started, really. It's, it's funny you say that because when I did mine, it was a horrendous murder that inspired my book and it was one that happened in the states and i thought well what would happen if this murder had happened here you know what would be the emotional reaction to it here and that's what kind of inspired me to write i don't think i would have written a crime novel if it hadn't been for that event so i think like i think our surroundings and our everyday life is our best source for that so mm -hmm. it's it's so interesting that you say you took a crime that could fit into that time period but also was relevant to this time period 
as you're starting so that that really is the experience and it's it's nice to hear that you know when you share things in common with other writers it's, it's lovely to have that kind of connection and that kind of I would almost like to say bond between people I don't mm -hmm. know if you agree yeah but oh yeah <laughs> so what are your dreams for your books where do you imagine if you could make your dream come true for your series where would you imagine it going well the Wesley series has been very successful and dreams really that people keep enjoying them yeah that's, that's a lovely goal I yeah, love that. yeah. <laughs> you know so, so people uh, i get lots of emails saying oh you know really enjoyed your books and, and that's such a reward that's it is yeah brilliant yeah to know that you're making people's lives a lot of people in lockdown you know say oh I've, i found your series and they got me through and that makes it all worthwhile really books were my saving grace from lockdown too yeah yeah me too. i mean i i spent most of my two lockdowns in hospital so i was so relieved to have books that i could read oh yeah because yeah. you get a bit sick and tired of watching things on the computer after a while mm. and <laughs> i love just sitting and reading at night and it made you almost forget oh i'm stuck in a hospital or oh i'm dealing with this it just gave you that you could be healthy and you could be part of this amazing story and I loved that that's what really made me get through it I think made me happy so yeah I think without authors like you lockdown would have been a lot worse and a lot more difficult to get through what has been your biggest trial that you've had to overcome on your journey as an author what would you say was Ooh. sort of the pinnacle obstacle you had to face on your journey um, I found lockdown very difficult, the, the isolation yeah. and sort of low-level anxiety and that, Did that I, I just wrote head? through it and in fact the, the stone chamber, you know, with, with its sort of themes of someone being locked in an asylum and that sort of thing. Well no, I, I get that because I, I think yeah, that was quite like cathartic. We were in an asylum during lockdown. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But at least you would have been able to pour your emotions during that yeah, time. Yeah, so I think I think I poured my emotions into it and the, and it's all about this anchoress who was walled walled into a a little room at the side of a church and oh <laughs> yeah. Yes, I could sympathize. <laughs> so as a writer, do you ever get that moment where you think, Ah, I have the next story? Oh definitely, yes. Yeah, so, you know, I see something and then that's it, yeah. What would yeah. you say is the strains of writing these sort of books? What would you say is like, is there a mental strain or a physical strain or an everyday life strain that you need to kind of deal with when you're writing this stuff? Um, not really. I think the, the worst problem when, when you're writing a long series is uh, trying to be original and trying not to repeat yourself. <laughs> Yeah, and I think Agatha Christie must have had that because I, I know she repeated her, some of her motives and her thoughts. <laughs> but yeah, and yeah, I think, it's, I think it's it trying to keep up the standard, trying to keep the original. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to let my standard drop at all because I, yeah. 
competitors sometimes say, oh, can you write 50 of them? I say, no, I don't, I want, don't want to let, I don't want to be too much with, I want, I don't want to let the standard drop. I, you know, want to keep yeah, it up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so what techniques have you used that you absolutely love with your writing? What's, what's the, like, ones that you would say drive you or help you with your writing process? Um, I don't know, I just do it. <laughs> I rewrite, oh, I rewrite, I, I, I just get the first draft down. Yeah. Um, and it's a load of rubbish. Um, and I rewrite and rewrite. I re, you know, my, my editor doesn't see it till about the fifth, sixth draft. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's, yeah, uh, that's what I do that as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I find it helps. Like I mean, some people do, some people get it right. Yeah, work very slowly and, and you know read it, read it every day but I find it just helps to just get it down and then and make notes as you go along seeing what you know what needs changing but you know and keep polishing it and polishing it and that's what you do really <laughs> you tried and thought what was I thinking trying this one um well, after the first draft, you always think that about bits of your book, <laughs> and you just change them. <laughs> but I, I write lots of short stories, and um, yeah, that's a very good way of like, like polishing. I know. I uh, your, your technique really, and trying out new things. So you know, writing the first person. And, yeah, that, that so sort of how thing. different is promoting your books now compared to back before COVID? I'm getting back into normal actually. I've been invited to talk at loads of libraries. Um, I've just done a, the uh, Carnival of Words at Wrexham. And uh, I'm doing the Agatha, International Agatha Christie Festival this September. Uh, I'm doing a, Does it feel uh, good to kind of be getting back to normal and feeling less yeah, like uh, oh, it's running your life? Just getting back to normal and, and just seeing people again, seeing meeting readers again is fantastic. <laughs> I, th I think it's really hard when COVID hit because us as writers, we're very sociable. Most people think yes. we're not, but we really are sociable creatures and we like oh, talking. Oh, incredibly sociable, yes. And so I think COVID was almost like kneecapping a lot of us because yeah. Well, yeah. it took that That's good way of describing it. Of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I went to Crime Fest in Bristol as well, and that was great seeing everybody again. Sounds like it's it's good to have that kind of connection and community. And for I call it fraternity because I think yes, writing yeah. is a little bit like being in a fraternity because once you're in, you're in for life. So yes, yeah. So moving into the life portion of the podcast, which I always love this part because it really breaks down the idea of us being antisocial people sitting in the house <laughs> typing on computers all the time and having servants running around after us and. You know, drinking whiskey and smoking cigars and all this kind of ideas um, and I really love getting into those sort of um, demything these, these things what is the first thing that you do when you want to de-stress from your writing and your editing and just the pressure of deadlines um well we just hang out with family, friends drink wine Read books, <laughs> watch detectives on telly. 
I like that. It's like, it's like oh, I, I hang out with friends. I like, woohoo, watch Kaito. I love that. I, that would be my answer, actually, too. Yeah. But, yeah. So, if you had infinite time, like, what hobbies do you do now? What hobbies would you like to explore in the future? Um, well, hobbies I do now is uh, I'm a bell ringer at the local church. Oh, that's um, cool. And uh, I also, I'm also a member of an archaeology, local archaeology group. I'd probably, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I'd probably like to uh, do, do more of the archaeology. Um, if I had time, but <laughs> and more historical research, more family research, possibly. Yeah, no, I think that's great. If you could do one thing, anything in the world, and you could do it for a day, what would it be and why? Um, I I tried sailing once on Windermere, and that, and that was great fun. I'd probably like to learn to sail. Because I come from a long line of Welsh sea captains, <laughs> so it's well, probably in the blood. <laughs> we'll just have to give Marzi a phone and get you out on her sailing. Boat. Yes, yes. And also, I've also liked to try and... I've never ridden a horse, <laughs> so I'd probably like to know riding as well. I, I used to be a certified rider, in fact, I could actually teach. So uh, that, that's so funny you say that, because um, <laughs> since my accident, I actually haven't ridden. But yeah. yeah, I loved it. I loved doing that. And it, it's funny because horses have now started to play a role in my world. And I think it's almost like I've accepted, maybe I can't ride anymore, but I can still have a horse, mm. you know, in my life. I can have it in my everyday riding. So, yeah. yeah, no, trust me, if you do it once, you'll fall in love with it. And that will be <laughs> yes. part of you forever. I myself have a long-term illness which makes me slow down and appreciate the day. What makes you smile the roses? What's your your thing that just lets you slow down and appreciate mm. every day? Uh, I suppose walking. I do I do enjoy walking. Um, being amongst nature. Uh, being with family and friends. Um, um, just having something to look for. I think I think I think that was the difficult thing about lockdown. You didn't have anything to look forward to. Just now, kind of taken out of everyone's day. I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and just being amongst nature. I think. Where's your favorite place during the day that you like to curl up with a good book? Is it? Do you like doing it in the garden, a conservatory, cafe, readers' book? Where do you like to go? Uh. Well, I don't really, I'm usually writing during the day, so, you know, my working hours sort of thing. But uh, I do like to come down to my office where I am at the moment. It's at the bottom of the garden. And uh, it, it's very, very cosy. You've got a nice view of the trees. And <laughs> that is nice, yeah. Yeah. I, I look forward to actually having one day just a nice, quiet, you know, little place. share that with everyone so we're on to the fun part of the podcast this is what all the listeners look forward to and it's our book association word game that we play here on the book and night podcast and 
I always challenge my guests to see if they figure out the theme that I assigned them when I made up the word game. So it'll be interesting to see if you can actually figure out what I envisioned when I when I actually started my research for you, and uh, see if you can figure it out. Now the the, the words. Yes. Uh, which book? The, uh, the... It's as I said. If you can figure out, because I took the words for the word game, and I created a theme. So all of the words tied to a theme uh, that I. I sort of imagined when uh, I was researching you. So it'd be interesting to see if you could figure out what my theme for the word game that this uh, Christmas week that I came up with. Ah, well, ah, well, the what, the the book that sprang to mind um, from those words was Rebecca Daphne du Maurier. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that like when you know she she's uh, the uh... so the first word that we've got is C. Mm, yeah, a C sort of. When she she died, she died aboard her yacht. In the, you know, in a storm. <laughs> so our word, our first word for this word game is C. So who were you thinking of when? got your first word was C. Um, oh, um, well, I'll uh, say the, uh, the, the book that sprang to mind was Rebecca, uh, Daphne du Maurier. I do like that. That is a good, a good choice, I must admit. What about crashing waves? the same <laughs> they, they all sort of reminded me of of that one book of that one book oh, yeah that is I've never had yeah. one person manage to round it up to like one book before that that is incredible I love that yeah Mandalay by the coast and the the beach uh, where she had her beach house and yeah I so, like that because it, it, it's fabulous so book <laughs> When I looked you up, and because you know you were a recommendation by a friend, and they knew that I'd read Nicole Ford, and they said, "Well, do you like her? Do you like this woman?" And uh, they said, "You know, just look her up, see what you think." And it, it was like instantaneous. I just had this idea of meeting you on a walk along the beach in England with the seagulls squawking and the waves crashing and a thunderstorm rolling in. And I don't know why, but that, that was like, oh, I would totally meet her along a walk on a, you know, on a beach in England. I don't know why. Th that was my theme for this week. So uh, I want to take a minute to wish our beautiful listeners a Merry Christmas and yourself. And I hope you're looking forward to the new year. It has honestly been a super duper pleasure to have you on. And we'd love to have you back when you're getting ready to release your next book. Oh, and I'll you. be sure to have your book series in one of our spotlight upcoming episodes where oh, great. we will you. have <laughs> all books by you. And what we do is we do a three-part um, you know, episode where I take the first three books of the series and I read, you know, read them and then I tell the viewer, the listeners, 
on a Friday what I was thinking of that you know that series and those books so I will definitely make sure that you have your very own episode with your first three books and then oh, thank I you do it too Mikey so I'll work my way through the series eventually um, all right that's been lovely to speak to you <laughs> and it will be a, an exceptional honor to have you uh, a part of that as we move forward oh, so fun. thank you all for coming and checking out the book and life podcast for this week and I will see you back next week because podcasters never take any holidays. Um, so I'll be looking forward to seeing you all again bright and early next Monday.